Are you wondering how it is that you can implement the Burr method while living in a completely different city? That's exactly what we're going to cover on today's episode of Tips from the Pros. So I have with me uh, a guest that he lives in Utah and buys his Burr properties, his rentals in Ohio. And he does all of it remotely. We're going to be talking about how he built this team, how he analyzes the deals, how he's been funding them, how he's transitioning to acquiring more private money lenders, getting into the multifamily space. So we're going to cover all of this on this episode. So we're going to be interviewing Justin Monk, who's out of Utah, buys all of his rentals in Ohio, uh, does all of this remotely. And what's really cool is he does all this while having a full-time job managing a solar sales team. So he has a full-time job and has been able to pick up rental properties essentially part-time. And he's doing a great job. He's doing everything. It's amazing to see it. And you got to check out also his podcast, The Money Maven Project, where he talks a lot about the mindset behind investing and everything like that. So with that being said, let's talk to Justin. All right, Mr. Justin Monk, welcome to the podcast, Tips from the Pros. Very happy to have you here. How are you doing, sir? Dude, I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Very good. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. We met actually in a clubhouse room, and you know, it just you were one of the few that hopped on, and you had a very good story, and you know, you seem to, we seem to be coming from the same place as far as trying to yeah. share our experience, right? And not the fluff and not all that nonsense that you hear so much in real estate. So I guess that's why that was really the biggest reason why I wanted to connect with you and go ahead and do this interview because I feel like what you're offering and what you're putting out is going to be helpful for everybody. So with that being said, uh, this is the question I love starting off all the time. Why real estate? What got you into real estate? Oh man, that's a great question. So I have growing up, I had an uncle that was very successful in business. He started his own company um, and did really, really well. And he ended up selling that company and retiring like when he was 40 years old. And um, he he made a bunch of money in that transaction, but he also said that he made more money um, in real estate after selling the business than he ever did in the business. And because he took the he took the proceeds from selling that business, obviously, and then and invested them in multifamily and 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 just made lots of money. And the guy was like fishing four days a week after he turned forty. And I was like, that's what I want. Like, <laughs> whether it's fishing or whatever, like I want the I, I want that kind of lifestyle or that freedom and those choices. And so early on, and I mean, this was like when I was you know eight, nine, ten years old. I understood that there's something cool or something powerful about real estate. So when me and my wife got married, we bought a town home and uh, we lived in it for four or five years. And then we moved out, bought another home and we rented that town home out and, you know, it was cash flowing great. It was, you know, there was very, very little problems. We had great tenants. It was a great experience. And so I'm like, well, this is a proven concept. How do I do more of those? And uh, so that kind of started the journey on real estate and just starting to learn and understand the, the power of real estate. And how, how long ago was this when you did your first investment? How long ago was that? Let's see. We've been married 11 years. So um, we moved out of that place probably five, six years ago. Um, and and oh. it took me a while to 
um, understand how to now expand now to get more properties, because as you know, if you, if you buy, if you buy a property, um, as an investment property, you come up, you got to come up with 20 or 30% down. So I'm like, well, how, how am I going to be able to do that? And how am I going to be able to scale beyond just one property without having to come up with 20 or 30% down every time? And so in my research, listening to podcasts, reading books, all of that, I was able to, I discovered the Burr method. So buy and hold, but you, you, uh, you buy, you you rehab, you put a renter in it, you refinance, and then you repeat, getting all of your capital back out. And we can go into more detail on that if we want. But that's when I when I discovered that, I was like, wow, now I can just keep recycling my capital over and over, and I'm able to to scale. And so that's kind of what once I learned that, man, it was I was all in for sure. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love the bird method. To me, it's. Uh... It's a great strategy strategy to use, but a lot of people don't really understand them. We're gonna get into that bird method. I wanna hear how you how it is that you implemented it. But what is it that got you into real estate? So you decided to get in. You know, you you had your your family was in it. It worked out. You kind of learned that. What as far as education goes, what was that education that kind of really gave you that confidence and the knowledge to say, let me jump in. Was it a book? Was it a course that you did? Like what gave you that confidence? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So as I began to, you know, learn about real estate and what the options were, I don't remember exactly how I stumbled onto it. I obviously, I stumbled onto biggerpockets.com, which many of your listeners are probably familiar with. They have lots of good books. Um, Brandon Turner uh, wrote some very good books that are very uh, simple to understand. If you're getting into real estate, there's some great books there. And, but so that was good. Like the tactical information I learned from those books, but the, the courage and the confidence to jump in came from the bigger pockets podcast. Um, so not just plugging bigger pockets here, but this <laughs> it, is, it's a big part of my story, you know? So just hearing day after day, like people, uh, succeeding, like just normal people, just like me saying, Oh yeah, I bought 12 properties in a year as I got started. I'm like, this is crazy. And so just knowing that people, knowing people could do it and that it was possible. And it wasn't just a thing that I had to pay, you know, 40 grand for a course to understand, like that was super empowering and it gave me a lot of courage to jump into our first property. Um, and, and yeah. Did, did you ever buy any course or anything like that? Or did you just start with that first property and you kind of just stumbled your way through it? Yeah, I didn't buy any courses um, initially and uh, we, we bought the property. <laughs> Ironically, we ended up losing a little bit of money on the first deal. We, our contractor ended up being, uh, how do I say this kindly? Not who he said he was. So we ended up having to sell that property and backing out of it, but, um, the rest of them have been great so far. Um, so no, I didn't buy any courses or anything to have a mentor, but looking back, um, I think that having a mentor or some kind of a coach that had done it, you know, that had done what I was trying to do would have kept me a little safer as far as avoiding a few mistakes and also would have made it go faster. I think I would have progressed more quickly. So although I'm, I didn't do that on my story, I am a proponent. Like if you, if you find somebody that you can, 
that you can connect with that, that you, that you like, uh, as far as a coach or a course or a mentor, it's, it's going to be worth the money because it's going to take time. It's going to reduce how long it takes for you to get things done. And just because you have the accountability, right. Every week or whatever the schedule is, somebody's going to call you and say, did you do what you say you were going to do? Right. <laughs> and that can be huge. And, and I have used a mentor as I've been tr- learning and exploring uh, multifamily, larger multifamily deals, syndicating those deals. That's something that I have um, made the investment of a mentor and, and that's expedited the, the, how fast I learned and, and, and the growth there. So uh, it's definitely worth it. You know, what's funny is that you seem to have taken the same path as I did in the sense that like, we didn't start off in mentors right away, but as we kind of got the ball rolling and we got a little bit more successful in this, we realized the value of a mentor and now we're looking for them everywhere and anything that we want to do, we're willing to, you know, who, who could I get as a mentor for this area? Cause you realize that learning curve, but I think the biggest challenge people have when they're starting off, which is why I asked this question is that there's a lot of mentors out there charging for this and charging for education, charging for all this. And it's probably you're, let's say you're in Utah and this mentors in Florida and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about real estate. It's like the markets are different. I mean, mm. the way you flip a house in Florida is not the way you flip a house in Texas. Right. Oh, yeah. We we have different yeah. markets. We have everything, you know, it's very different. So when they try to do these things, I just have such an issue. And I always tell people, like, if you're going to get a mentor, make sure it's it's local or it's in that business that you're going to be doing. You know, like it needs to be somebody that's taking that same action that you are, that you're looking yeah. to learn from. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and I would, I would definitely talk to people that have been through the course to see if it actually met their expectations of getting them to help, yeah, helping them accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. That would be huge for sure. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of mentors that will give you a lot of data, a lot of content, a lot of videos to watch. But at the end of the day, like you, you need somebody holding your hand, uh, looking over your shoulder as you make this, cause no two deals in all of real estate are exactly the same. And no, you're not exposed in the same way on any two deals. Like there, there's some commonalities, but man, there's just stuff that you cannot, that only somebody that's been doing it for a while can understand. So yeah. um, I, I would definitely recommend that, you know, rather than, I don't know, you, whatever you got to do. I, I know a guy that flipped couches on online. Like he buy used couches, clean them up and then sell them for double what he paid for. And, and he earned money for his first few properties. I would do that a little bit more. And, 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 and hire somebody or, or bring somebody on to kind of walk you through your first few deals. It, it'll be so much smoother. So, so that kind of brings up the next point is a lot of people when they're getting into real estate investing and I, I cringe every time I hear somebody tell me this is they say, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and go all in on real estate. Right. And I'm like, okay, I love the commitment, but what, what have you done, you know, in real estate? Oh, nothing. What do you know? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Why are you going so <laughs> all into it, you know, when you haven't even tried anything? And it's a lot of the times what I get to is it's almost the the fluff that's out there that you have to, you know, like go all in and just do all this where they feel guilty if they were to hold a job while investing in real estate, while getting their feet yeah. wet, while testing out the market. And I'm like, that's you know, the smarter way of going about it instead of let me just quit everything, jump head first 
and let's see what happens. I mean, what was your experience with all that? Yeah, I mean, for me, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't turn off the income stream that I had from a day job because I mean, I had a, I had a mortgage on our, on our primary residence. I had a wife and at the time, two or three kids, I have four now. So until, until my real estate can make up for that, that income in a, in passive cash flow, I'm, I'm, I'm into the job. Like I'm, I have a full-time job. I'm the part owner and manager of a sales of a solar sales organization um, so I mean, that thing keeps me hopping all day long, every day of the week. And, um, but I know, so, so real estate, I'm fitting it in on the sides. Um, you know, I, I, from six to seven in the morning, that's like deal analysis time. I'm getting up like at four 45, I have a morning routine. And then from six to seven, I'm taking care of whatever the most important pieces of my real estate efforts are, whether that's finding the next deal whether that's analyzing deals that I'm, you know, got my eye on, um, whether that's figuring out who I can talk to about private money, that's kind of the time. And then obviously go to work, you know, I might be putting out fires or handling real estate emails throughout the day, but it's pretty much my main gig throughout the day, come home or whatever, you know, dinner with the family, have the evening with my family. And then once they go to bed, I'll have an hour or two in the evenings, where I'm, I'm not watching Netflix, you know, I'm, I'm not on social media other than to network and meet people in the real estate world. I'm back to the real estate thing. So you can definitely do it with a full-time job. Like don't, don't think that you have to quit your job to be able to start getting traction in real estate. And even, even the guys that like tell you to go all in and commit like Grant Cardone himself, I, I'm a Grant Cardone fan. I've got my 10 X flag. Mm-hmm. right here. I mean, he says he maximize your main flow first, like maximize your main flow of income first before you start branching out into other, uh, other streams of income. And so, especially in your, if you're in sales, maximize that first, like how can you make more money at your first gig and then start figuring out how to fit in the real estate stuff, uh, as a side hustle until, until obviously, you know, you can make the jump. Um, and for yeah. some, if you don't like your job, it's not a healthy place to be, then let's make that sooner rather than later. But be careful to say that you have to leave your job before you can do anything in real estate, because that's not true. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people almost are getting into real estate investing because it has such a low barrier to entry, almost like a game, right? They they don't take it serious. They don't understand the risk involved with this business. They don't understand the you know, the amount of work, especially when a lot of people, the lowest barrier to entry is wholesaling. They think that, all right, cool. I can make, you know, 15 grand a month. I, <laughs> you know, that's ideal, but you know, that's not exactly how easy it is. The amount of work that you got to put in to make that 15 grand a month consistently is a lot, right? I mean, you, you need a lot of bats, you need a lot of things. And then with every other area, it's the same amount level of risk. And it's just, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like, respect the industry, you know, respect that if you want to be a real estate investor, respect the industry you're jumping in, because if not, like you're just, you take it so lightly, you like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do all this. And then when you, you know, that Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, you jump into the space, you get hit in the mouth right away because you realize it's not that simple. And then yeah. you're like, shit, now what? 
I just quit my job. I lost everything. I, I'm not making any money. I don't know what to do. You know, you realize how much harder it is and that you're not willing to put in the work to, to get that. So, you know, you're you're finding yourself now that you're saying, okay, you got your system, which is, I, I like how you have it structured. This is what I do in the morning. You know, I have this throughout the day and this is how I finish off the day. So you're, you're planning out your real estate game. Um, what is your business? What is it that your real estate business involves? Yeah, so we were buy and hold uh company um we're we're out we're investing out of state so i live in northern utah prices in northern utah for homes are just ridiculous I'm, i know there's plenty of markets that would say the same um and so i started looking outside of my market just because i felt like my capital uh could go farther in other markets and from connections on instagram people that i met there started to see some people investing in ohio and I'm like, all right, let's check that out. I did actually, I don't think I mentioned this. I did actually pay uh, 99 bucks for one hour with one of those investors. Um, mm. So that would be some mentoring that I did pay for. I forgot about that. Um, but, and so, so he took what would have maybe taken me six months to learn as far as what areas of Ohio or should I invest in? What are some of the nuances of that market to watch out for? That was very, um, uh, in an hour, I learned all of that rather than trying to figure it out over the next two or three months. So that was, that was huge. I forgot I did that. Um, so that would be a little bit of a coaching that I did do. And, and he's actually still been a resource even today that I bounce questions off of. But anyway, so we started learning, uh, the market in Ohio because out there I, I can buy a three bedroom, a three bed, two bath, you know, for 40 grand, uh, or 50 grand where here it'd be 125 or 150 grand. So it's just, it's crazy. I can buy more properties more quickly out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, once I kind of learned the market, learned the areas, learned the zip codes that I wanted to focus on, I think we were making offers in like three or four days. I, I found an agent. Um, I found a few agents and started working with all of them until I kind of felt like which one was going to be the best for me. And then we were making offers within days. Um, so we buy, and like I said, we use the Burr method. Um, and uh, traditionally, or for the most part, it's been my own capital or a home equity line of credit that I have to fund these deals. But we're now just starting to, because I've got enough deals that I can't afford all of them. Um, we are looking for private investors. We're bringing on people that have some money laying around making no money, no interest. And you know, we're saying, hey, we can get you 10% 12-month terms. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So we're just starting to branch out into that so we can buy more properties at a time. So what what kind of research? Because, I mean, it's very intimidating for a lot of people to start saying, hey, my city doesn't work. I need to invest outside of my city. I'm not moving there, but I'm going to be investing there. So you were on Instagram. You spoke to some people. You heard people talking about Ohio. And then you reached out to this investor. Like, what? Was that enough or was, did it need to hit like a certain criteria for you as far as, you know, I, I need properties to kind of cash flow this much. I'm looking for this speed of market of saying, you know, how quickly do they rent? Like, what's your research process when you're looking at that? Yeah, I mean, he was definitely helpful in me narrowing down what areas to focus on and what areas to not to avoid. Um, so that was huge um, and kind of how to identify the taxes and a few things that are kind of 
different in Ohio, but, and how to deal with the point of inspection, uh, um, thing that they have going on in a lot of cities out there. So that was some good coaching that they're very particular to that market. I obviously did my own research. Okay. What's the job trend? You know, what are, you know, unemployment rates, who, what are some big companies moving into that area? Amazon had just, uh, built a distribution center right nearby. So I've got tons of jobs. Um, it's, it's got, uh, good coaching teams or not, not coaching teams, good, like sports teams. There's a lot. I, so I did my own research as far as the market in general, population growth, um, what home, what home prices have been doing. So I did some of that just to back up what that other investor kind of told me. And that was, that was super, super helpful. So I did some of my own also. I gotcha. So now, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. That's how you started going. So explain, let's give a quick uh, explanation as to what is the burn method and how is it that you've been implementing that method? Why is it that it's been helping you so much? Yeah, so the burn method, um, I shop just like somebody that's flipping a house would shop. Uh, we're gonna, we need to buy a distressed property from a distressed seller normally. Um, we need to buy at 70%. So we'll take the same, we'll take the ARV, go 70% of the after repair value minus our rehab costs. And that's our, that's kind of our maximum offer. Now that's, if it's a perfect burr, um, if, if I'm okay to leave a little bit of money in the deal, then I can offer a little bit more than that number. And I wish I had a whiteboard, I'd write it out. But, um, cause what the plan is, is we're going to put some money into it. We're going to clean it up. We may not rehab it as much as somebody that's going to flip the property because they obviously want top dollar. They're going to put, put a little more money into it. We are going to make it nice, rent ready, fix any problems, fix any safety issues, those kinds of things, get it ready for a tenant, put it and making sure that we can get an appraisal to where once we go six months later, when we go get a, an appraisal, and the bank, excuse the bank will usually give you, depending on the bank, 70 to 80% of that after repair value. With that cash out refinance, that cash coming back to me is covering the purchase price and the rehab amount. So I've usually have all my money back. Um, now it's not perfect every time. Sometimes, you know, whatever, I have to pay a little bit more on the rehab or the uh, appraisal doesn't come back quite as high as we thought. So I end up leaving a couple thousand dollars in the deal or something like that, which to me is, I'm like, okay, for 2000 bucks, I got a cash flowing property. That's in this case, you know, cash flowing $300 a door and it's, I'm all in 50 something thousand and it's worth 75. <laughs> that's a pretty good deal for me. That's a pretty good place for my 2000 bucks. And I even messaged Brandon Turner once on Instagram and uh, amazingly he responded. He's like, cause I'm like, did you get your, you get all your money back every time on a burr? And he's like, it's actually the exception. Most of the time we're leaving a few thousand bucks in the deal. So just because that, that freaked me out at first. I'm like, Oh no, I, I got I can't find this perfect burr. And once he said that, no, there's like, those are the exception. You're going to usually leave a little bit of money. I'm like, okay, let's go then. You know, then I was had more confidence that I was doing it right. Um, yeah, I mean, so, what, what's funny to your point on that is I have buyers, especially from the West Coast, that reach out to us wanting to buy rentals because they're like, it's Texas, right? So you should be able to buy houses for pennies and and make, you know, three times uh, cash flow. And like, I mean, mm -hmm. these far out thoughts and everything. 
And I try to bring them back down to earth because I'm like, yes, it's Texas and it is cheaper than California, but everything's still relative to price and rent yeah. and everything. So, I mean, it's all yeah. the same stuff, you know, yeah. it's just, you're paying less for a house. And they tell me, well, I want, you know, at least 20% equity. I want, you know, $400 cash flow, including all my CapEx, all this, um, minor rehab. And I'm like, all right, so, you know, this isn't your Santa's Christmas list. Like, you know, <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta be okay with leaving some money in the deal. They're like, yeah. I don't want to be leave money in the deal. I'm like, oh, then you were maybe not ready to invest. Cause yeah. are you going to find deals like that? Yes. But yeah, not from likely from finding it from a wholesaler or something like that's going to be very hard. You got to source yeah. the deal yourself. So if you're willing yeah. to invest and leave some money in the deal, but that has become, and I get, I, I still blame social media and all these people out there because they make it seem like it's so simple. It's so easy. You make a killing and it's like, no, there's, there's more risk involved. You probably do yeah. have to leave, you know, maybe 10 grand and 15 grand in the deal, but now it's cash flowing. You know, mm -hmm. you have a great investment. It's got equity, you know, and it's in an area that's makes sense. That's going to keep appreciating. You're getting your tax deductions. I mean, it's a business, right? Yeah. And yeah. so hearing you say that you find yourself leaving money in the deal and all that is, it's good because it's like, yeah. yes, that's just a part of it. Yeah, there's just no perfect deal. I mean, if you're looking for reasons to back out of a deal, you'll always find one. So uh, there's just no perfect thing. And the best, you know, the successful real estate investors, they're the ones that make, you know, they're able to to deal with a almost perfect deal and make it work as the business. And and, and I mean, that's the skill that you need to be able to see the opportunities in the different deals. And and so why is that Burr method so important to us? Well, as a new investor, we didn't have like $500,000 laying around for capital, right? We have our home equity line of credit and our personal cash. So by, by using the Burr method, you know, I hold the property for six months, we cash out refinance, I get my money back. And now I have that capital to go do another one. And so that was huge as far as us feeling like we could get started with minimal money um, or access to it because I could turn it over, you know, over and over again. And now if we use pri private hard money is a great solution that that requires very little out of pocket private investors. I prefer cause you can kind of nail down your terms and it's less of a process to get the money, private money, right? We have a 12 month term, 10% interest. I usually have their money back in eight or nine months and then we can do it again. So now it's not even my money. It's, it's I'm just parking their money in this deal, getting it tied up, doing the cash out refinance, get their money back, send it back to them. And then they're like, okay, where's the next deal? So now I can start to build a lot of momentum that way. And when you're doing your, all of our refis have been for money lenders and we refi that loan. So then because we're refinancing a loan, our interest rate is actually lower than if we were to do a cash out refi, those interest oh, rates okay. are a little bit higher. And you do have to wait, like you're saying, six months where when you're refinancing a loan, with the lenders that we work with, we refinance pretty much whenever we want. As soon as we're done, up to 80%, we can refinance the loan. Is Are those the things that you're looking at, you know, as far as being able to get more of that capital going, lowering your interest rates? Because, I mean, every little thing helps, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, every little thing helps. I mean, it just it means more cash flow and, and more passive income. Um, so, yeah, anything we can do to help that. And so, and so you're saying that if you're 
because you're using the private money it's not like a loan the bank there's no seasoning period on that is that what you're saying right so so if you if you have an underlying loan that it's not a cash out refi they treat it differently so even if we're buying a property that actually doesn't we don't we're not going to be in it pretty much let's say 80 percent of arv we're going to be in it for less we'll still borrow 80 percent because when we refinance, we have the option to refinance, you know, that 80% out. Because if we borrow less than that, let's say we borrow at 70% and we need to refinance 80, now it becomes a cash out refi. So then the the numbers and everything become different at that point. So we always try to just borrow the full. And what we do, I mean, you're saying that ARV minus 70%. We we would love to <laughs> be buying rentals like that, but right now, like most of the rentals for us to be in it, no money. We're at more or less eighty percent of uh, ARV for all of our rentals. That's yeah. kind of where we're at. But yeah. um, so I mean, that's it's interesting how you have your model set up and everything. So how do you set up a team? Because you you live in Utah, you invest in Ohio. There's a lot of moving parts, right? You're you're making an offer. How do you, how do you, let's start there. How do you evaluate the deal from Utah when you're saying, okay, I want to buy this house? What does that evaluation process go? How do you know that you can pull the trigger on it? Yeah. So, um, honestly, either my agent or I find word is finding deals on the MLS right now. Um, they're, they're fewer and farther between, but it, my, my marketing expenses are lower that way. Cause I'm not, you know, driving for dollars or texting or doing direct mail and stuff. So, um, and there just seems to be enough deals that I can pick them up. So I'll find one on the MLS. I'll, I'll run some quick numbers on it. I kind of know the general ARV or, you know, the value of it after it's fixed up so I can run some basic numbers. I usually, I just use the bigger pockets calculators cause I'm a member there. So that makes it super simple. Um, we'll run the numbers and if it looks good, I'll shoot, um, email over to our agent and say, Hey, let's offer X on this property. And so again, I haven't seen it yet. I've probably seen some pictures. That's it though. Um, and I'll say, Hey, let's, um, let's make, let's offer this on the property. And we always offer with a, an, an inspection contingency. So if I finally, if I get into that deal and I, we find that the, you know, the foundation walls are crumbling, then we can, we have an out. We always have an out. So we'll make offers like that sight unseen, um, just looking at pictures and stuff. And if we get, the offer accepted then, and I'm, I'm usually, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty good at estimated rehab again within a few thousand bucks. So again, we're kind of making some assumptions. If we get a contract, then the first thing I do is send my contractor over there to get me a, an estimate on the rehab. Um, and at this, about the same time, I'm also keying up a home inspector to go do that. Now, everybody's like, well, whoa, you're paying for a home inspection on a rental property. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I live in Utah. I'd like somebody to go see it that knows what they're doing. And he's more of an expert than I am when it comes to looking for problems in houses. So even if I was local, like, why would I go if he could go for me? So that's like a whole, that's a whole thing there. But um, so yeah, he goes out, he's, he sends me like a 75 page report, hundreds of pictures, well, probably a hundred pictures. And then his, you know, his explanation of what's going on there and what the potential problems are. And I tell him to inspect it like, he like, it's going to be sold to a retail buyer. You're like, I want everything. Is there, is there a loose uh, outlet socket or whatever? Like I want everything. And so 
contractor goes out, takes a look. I get the inspection report back. I get all those things that I want fixed in that inspection report. Tell my contractor to add that stuff to his scope of work. He gets me a rehab number. This is all hopefully taking place within right now. It takes a while, but maybe two weeks at the most, but hopefully seven to 10 days. And once I have that rehab number and there's nothing crazy, nothing scary in the inspection, then I'll, you know, we'll send our earnest money over and keep and lock that deal in. Um, we'll, in Ohio, we have to remove the inspection contingency. We have to sign a paper that says that we no longer have that in there. And then we, we move forward and, and close on the deal. Um, so, so a lot of people are like, wait, you're buying properties in Ohio and you haven't seen them. And it just freaks people out. Like they just think I'm so crazy. And granted probably am. I, I hear that a lot, but like I said, I'm not the expert. Like I'm not a contractor and I'm not a home inspector. So ultimately, why do I want to see it? I want their opinion. So that's my team. Like inspector, go see it and send me the videos and pictures. Contractor, go see it and tell me if there's anything that freaks you out and what's it, what's it going to cost. And obviously the agent looks through it. He's, he's telling me about the neighborhood. He's telling me about the, the outside. And so I have three people that are experts in the industry guiding me to buy whether this house is purchasable or not, or if it's a deal. And then as, and they're all motivated by different things, right? Yes. The agent might fudge things a little bit because he wants to sell me the property or he wants to be a part of that transaction. But, and the contractor might be like, yeah, well, we don't need to fix that because he wants to keep the job simple for himself. But the inspector will come in and he's like, I don't care 400 bucks, whether I beat this thing up or not. So he's very unbiased. So he's keeping those two people in check. I kind of have this check and balance system to where nobody can, no one person can lead me too far astray without another point of view. Then finally, the property management company will send that representative over to do a walkthrough before we rent the place out. That's like my final checkpoint because she or he is super picky. I mean, if there's dust on the counter, like she's going to tell me about it. So if it hasn't been cleaned, if there's an outlet or a, a light fixture that needs to be repaired, she's telling me about it. And if it's in the scope of work for my contractor and he didn't do it, I can call him out on it. So I have, I, I feel like I have some checks and balances, right? She's motivated that the property management representative is motivated to make sure this place is safe. It looks good. It's going to rent well. That's her motivation. That's how she's paid. So she has her point of view. And so by, with those four team members, I feel like I'm protected and there's checks and balances and no one person can lead me too far astray. And ultimately I've seen the property just not with my own eyes at the end of the day. Uh, man, that is nuts. Um, <laughs> so as somebody, I grew up in construction, I've done construction my whole life. So where you are, I don't like giving up that much control because what I've learned coming from a contractor that became an investor is as a contractor, a lot of times you look at everything needs to be done. As an investor, you're like, not in this area, not in this market, not for a rental, right? So relying 100% on what the contractor said, it says, you know, it's not a good idea. Then you have your inspector that comes in and will, you know, mark up everything in yeah. the property, you know? So they'll, yeah. they'll mark up every single thing. But again, as an investor, you come in and you say, 
yes, I get it, but that's not a big deal. Or I, I'm, I'm fine with this. Or now, you know, okay, I don't need to fix this right now. I know it's there. I'll fix it later. You, you make the assessment. You have your real estate agent that's doing the comps, telling you the area, and then what? The one piece that, so all of that makes sense, and I, I love the checks and balances. But the one piece I think that you nailed it with is having your property manager come in later and see can it be rented how it is because that's really that's your end goal right your end goal is to be able to rent the property so having a property manager come in when it's all said and done saying look i rent properties all the time and this property will not rent this way right or it, it, this property is great it'll rent no problem i mean i think that final piece is is so crucial to this whole formula yeah. working yeah yeah. And I mean, and I'm giving some guidance to my contractor, uh, you know, I'll show him pictures of other houses that have uh, the comps, right? Hey, this one appraised for what we need this one to appraise for. And this is how nice it looked inside, you know, so I can give him some guidance there. And, but I just, it's funny because even if I lived in Ohio, I'd probably still do it this exact same way. Cause I'm too busy with my main gig to go see these properties, whether I live around the street, around here on the corner or halfway across the nation. So it's, it's been a really good system. It's been, it's protected me. Um, and as far as not making any mistakes or having any, you know, anybody lead me astray and, and, and another, another level, this is probably, this is probably unique to Ohio. Maybe there's other markets that have it. If you're again, if you're still afraid to jump into a long distance investing, Ohio is cool because some of the cities there have a point of sale inspection. So if, if I'm a homeowner and I want to sell my house, I have to get an inspection by the city. They're going to come out. They're going to say all the things wrong with my house. Most of the time it's just outside. Cause they're obviously kind of like an HOA controlling, like how, how your paint looks and how your front porch looks and does the driveway need to be repaired and things like that. So even before I make an offer on a property, I can see what we call the POS, the point of inspection, the point of sale inspection report. So I know all the things outside that are wrong. You know, are the front stairs falling in? Um, do the, are there some windows broken? Does the garage need to be fixed? Like all this cool stuff. So I have another, again, another point of reference as far as what's wrong with that. I can just get that to the contractor and say, hey, in order for this transaction to happen as the buyer, we assume those repairs, right? The seller will never take on any of that. So I say, Hey, for this deal to work, we got to fix all these things. And he adds that to a scope of work. So it's a, like another inspector, not even involved in the deal. He's paid his eight bucks, 10 bucks an hour, whatever to go look at the property. He's also given me his point of view on what needs to be fixed on that property. And, and in that case, we don't have an option. Like we have to fix all those things. Yeah. Um, so that it's another level. I feel like that's five points of like protection or, eyes on the property, even though I haven't seen the property. Well, and it's also, it, like you said before, which is, I love when people understand the value of building out systems, right? So you, like you said, this is a system that you have in place, and this is a system that's going to allow you to replicate the model to maybe, you know, while you try to branch off into something else, this model can keep going because if you're the one that has to inspect the property, look at everything, put everything together, kind of like what we are doing in San Antonio, because I guess it's also been because we haven't needed to, right? Uh, do what you did, get creative like you did. We've taken the easy road of saying, well, we know how to do all of that, so let's do it ourselves so we know yeah. it's right. Um, 
you start realizing how much time is wasted in a sense. It, I don't know if wasted is the right term, right? Because it's part of the investment. It's how you make a good investment, but it makes it very hard to scale. You know, it makes it very hard to focus on anything else. So w the one question though I did have is two weeks for an inspection and you have an option period. Is this like, is that normal in Ohio where they'll give you a two week inspection period and you can still back out? Like, is that normal? Yeah, I think, I guess we haven't really run into any issues with that. I can't remember what we usually ask for. I think we ask for 10 days and usually the seller's okay. If we're like, Hey, it's scheduled for this day or, you know, we just keep them posted on that. We're still in the deal. We're still nothing, you know, everything looks good. Um, and, uh, we've been able to just kind of keep those deals alive without having too much of an issue. Nobody's really given us any grief on it. Um, I can't remember like the exact timelines that we, that we asked for, but, um, I mean, everybody's super slammed, like appraisers, inspectors, they're all, you know, a couple weeks out. So everybody gets it and that's, Everybody but, understands it's taking time. You know, the the fact that you're still finding deals on the MLS and having the 10-week option period and submitting an offer below asking and, and getting it, like, we haven't seen that in San Antonio in quite some time now, you yeah. know? So, I mean, that I, I think those things are, are very favorable to you or to your strategy and to the system that you have in place because I think it becomes... Uh, I think that kind of system will be a lot harder to implement, let's say in San Antonio, where finding deals on the MLS are so hard to do because you're, you're having so many people moving here from the West Coast yeah, and they're overbidding. I mean, they're yeah. over, we're, we're being outbid by like 30 grand on a property. That's I'm, I'm like, I was thinking of making 25 on it and you're outbidding by 30. Like, you know, it, it's yeah. insane. I, I, I think it's, this is this I would say this is a limited time offer, a limited time opportunity because I'm already seeing in a couple of the my favorite cities or neighborhoods, I'm already seeing the prices just I bet they've in the last let definitely within the last year probably increased the the normal asking prices have have gone up about 10 percent, if not a little bit more and so i'm seeing this upward pressure and so finding deals on emma on the mls in those areas are getting harder i've branched out into some other suburbs and some cities that are a little bit further away from cleveland um and uh, so it's i don't know how long it's going to last <laughs> so i'm going to take advantage while it's, while i can i i'm already exploring um options like um deal machine um so, for, so driving for dollars virtual driving for dollars um which leads into a direct mail campaign um it's, and I, I actually purchased a list for some small multifamilies in the area and did a direct mail to them i'm already kind of starting the balls rolling on other means of finding these deals because i don't think this is going to be around forever like i the pressures in the market are gonna make this not possible I'm just lucky that I'm still catching some of these deals on the MLS. I think I'm going to have to do what everybody else does. And that's direct mail, text messages, you know, the driving for dollars and buying from wholesalers. Like eventually I think it's going to go there. Luckily, you know, now that, now that I'm talking about it, maybe everybody will go there, but luckily it's good now and, and I can make it happen on the MLS, but I think I'll eventually have to get uh, a little bit more aggressive on finding deals or, or I'll, you know, I'm looking at, I've been looking into other markets too. Memphis, um, independence, uh, is another area. Memphis, man, deals seem like they're plentiful there too. I'm just, 
I don't even look at the MLS. I just get the automated ones from my agent, which I guess is MLS, but I, and there seems like there's uh, plenty of deals there too. So will they last forever? For sure. No, um, it's going to go away. It's going to get harder and harder. Um, well, I mean, to, to your point, you know, when I think it's also kind of like a balance, right? When one place gets too hot, uh, that means another place isn't right. So then yeah, you can kind of start shifting. And what I like about your model is that you can shift, right? You can yeah. go to other cities. You can, you know, say, okay, where's that next Ohio that, you know, that I can get into. And I think an advantage if you accept some advice is that I would start networking with people like myself that are in a city that's saturated just to see into the future, right? So yeah. say, okay, well, if you guys are in those cities and you're still getting deals, how are you doing this? Because yeah. as I transition into that, let's say in Ohio, and maybe, you know, I, I'm not quite ready to go to Memphis or somewhere else, I can start putting these things in place before it gets to that level, right? Like, I mean, yeah. those are the things that... I think back to myself, I'm like, man, should have started doing this, you know, a year ago, man, I should have started yeah. doing this like eight months ago. Um, yeah. Obviously, COVID drastically pushed the, the timeline on everything. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's definitely been a huge learning curve for us regarding that. So you have your bird. How many deals have you done? You said you've been investing for about five years, right? Since you started with that property? Well, really, really, as far as we rented that that first property out for several years before we learned about the burr method and kind of started into some other we bought one locally that was the one that was our first deal that was the one that we had to back out of and then we are um so really it's we've been going strong for about a year um using the burr method a little over a year and we've we're closing on our fourth one in ohio so nothing crazy, but I mean, I'm pretty stoked that just in a year, well, just in 12 months that that's, that's, a, that's, that's the pace. So I tell people, you know, especially with, you have a full-time job, right? And they say, oh, well, I, if I do this part-time or this, whatever, or, or get into rentals, it's going to take forever. By the time I build up this, like you have no idea how quickly it actually moves once you're in it. You know, yeah. once you get in it, yeah, the first one takes a while because it's your first one. And then from the first to the second, it might take a little bit longer, right? And then it, yep. the time goes down drastically and drastically. And next thing you know, you know, I mean, four deals in a year while you have a full-time job, investing from a distance, like, mm. uh, I give you a lot of props. You know, that's, yeah. uh, that's a hell of an investment. You're doing very well. Yeah, and thank you. Have you done anything else? Are you flipping or are you doing anything else or is it just buy and hold? No, it's just, just using the Burr method, buy and hold. I, I have definitely, um, I'm learning about, like I said, I mentioned the, the multifamily syndication. I think that's another awesome opportunity. Um, the payouts are humongous there or can be, and obviously you can scale very quickly, um, but the deals take longer and it's, it's a little more complicated, but definitely doable. So I'm learning about that. I'm underwriting deals. I'm underwriting a nine unit right now, just to see if I can make sense of the deal. Um, um, and so definitely always, I'm always, I've got my feelers out for that. If I come across the right property, we'll definitely jump at a multifamily. What, what, what do you mean by underwriting? you're underwriting those deals what do you mean by that yeah yeah just just doing the math running the numbers does it make sense and how much can we pay for it okay and what yeah. are you using to understand because multifamily 
doesn't run the same as single, right? Uh, depending on the size of the property, it's it depending on how much vacancy it has. That's the valuation, the you know, yeah. the net operating income and all that. So, how did you learn how to even start assessing to even understand when you're analyzing it? Is does this even make sense? Yeah, so that's that's where that that mentor came in. the 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 main the mentorship that I have subscribed to or signed up for was um, for multi multifamily syndication. So I was able to get access to a calculator or a spreadsheet that can help me with the underwriting, analyzing all the moving parts of a syndication deal, and um, and so that's so that's where I've learned all that stuff. And and I don't I'm not currently being mentored now, but I kind of learned a foundation that I felt like I could now go out and start to analyze the deals, analyze deals and see if they can make if I can make sense of them. And and for those that maybe don't know, syndication is where I I get the property under contract and then I go and I have investors, I raise money for the down payment of purchasing that deal. So I'm kind of the I'm, I'm just putting the deal together for other investors to invest in. And obviously I get like an acquisition fee and I get part of the cash flow. And then obviously when we sell it in seven eight to 10 years, I get part of the proceeds there too. So as well as the investors. So um, it's a cool model because it doesn't take a lot of capital on my own to get into these 24 or 32 unit properties because I'm raising that capital through investors. Nice. Uh, I like that. Yeah. A lot of, uh, multifamily is something that a lot of people ask me, when are you going to get into it? And I'm like, well, when I see something that makes sense, you know, because it's the same thing here. Uh, you know, I, I do want to start branching off outside of Texas. I uh, just haven't gotten there. But as far as San Antonio goes, I mean, trying to find something with cap rates that make any amount of sense yeah. is damn near impossible. We're finding, you know, properties are pretty distressed selling for like a five cap rate. Right. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> Like, ah, no, I get less risk on a single family right now. I'd rather stick to yeah. what I know and what generates better revenue for me. Yeah. And you're doing it right. I mean, there, there's math, there's rules of thumb in, in multifamily, just like there is in single family. And if it doesn't meet the criteria, you walk, like you do not try and force any of those deals. I mean, um, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I've got the same thing going on with this nine unit. Like they're asking probably double what it should be selling for. And I just have to stick to my math. I know the math. I know the rules. I, I know what it has to be purchased at to make a deal out of it. And even though I get laughed at when I submit my offers, like I, I until I find the right one, um, you know, I, I won't, I'm not going to force it. And, and, uh, but the cool thing is, is be, with all this it's practice, like, yeah, I may not buy anything for two years, but when that 32 unit comes along, that's distressed property and distressed seller that, ready to get out and I find it off market, I'll know how to run those deals, those numbers, and I'll be able to grab it. So to me, it's just, this is practice rounds. I love that. You, I love that you made that point of saying, you know, practice. Cause I tell a lot of people too, when they get in, I'm like, analyze deals, look at comps, look at deals, yep. you know, go see what wholesalers are putting out, see what's on the market, analyze them. Like you're going to buy them, go look at them. Like you're going to buy them. You know, even if you're not buying them, but the experience that you get from going to these properties and saying, you know, what questions should I be asking? What does this mean? Is this an issue? Or what about this over here? So I'm like, that's real learning. That's better than any course. I, I usually shy people away from buying courses and stuff because I tell them like, 
when you don't know anything, there's nothing better than getting out there and just taking action, you know, because yeah. you'll you'll learn so much more uh, as you go. And one thing that you said at the beginning was there's not one way to do a deal, right? There's no like, oh, here's how you uh, do the bird method. Here's the formula. Go and do every single bird the same exact way. It's going to hit yeah. the nail on the head every single time you do it. Like, no, there's a million different ways contracts you know the sellers the motivation the repairs yeah. the market conditions so you gotta you know you gotta get out there and put in the work mm -hmm. you know yeah i agree yeah just just pick a market throw a dart pick a market and just start running deals if you can't make any sense of it and try a different market like i, I just you've got to get familiar with the numbers and how to make sense of these deals so that when one does come along you'll be ready for it maybe when you find a way to fund it or whatever maybe the obstacle is like right. you, you need to be able to find the deals and make and determine whether it's a deal so right now for your business your next level is you're needing funding right you're needing to so that's kind of we were talking earlier you were saying that you're transitioning into gathering some private funds and stuff like that how has that been for you like what have you noticed you know with that whole ordeal yeah, it's a um, yeah. So I, there's a there's a few books, good books out there on raising private capital, um, and uh, I've read I've read those and just basically created a list of friends, family, um, maybe coworkers that I felt like could be interested in putting their money in something like this, and then just slowly started reaching out to them. Um, I usually do the approach of, hey, I'm you know. I mean, you may have seen, cause I I'm all over social media. So my family and friends know what I'm doing and that's why I use social media. Honestly, is just to kind of get that attention. So people are aware of what I'm, what's going on. And, um, and so I just, Hey, as you may see, you know, maybe, you know, I've been investing in real estate in Ohio. I'm currently finding more deals than I can fund personally. So I'm looking for private investors. I'm looking for investors that want to make 10% on their money. And then I, instead of asking them directly, I say, do you know anyone that would be interested? or maybe you're interested and just leave it at that. And some people don't respond. Some people respond and say, no, some people respond and say, yeah, I'd like to learn more about that. So um, it's just been kind of thinking through that list and just, you'll be surprised if you sit down and make a list, how many people, you know, would be open to this. Uh, just a good friend from high school, just, just reach out to me just the other day. And he's like, Hey man, I want to, you know, I'm, I've got some money sitting around making 0.0003% in the bank. And I'd like to do a little bit better with that. So let's talk about, you know, your deals and what we can do together. So it comes, it's slow. It's a slow process. Currently have two, maybe three investors that are open to it. Um, and so we're just working through the, you know, the details, answering their questions, and hopefully we can start uh, doing deals with them. All of our deals get funded through private investors. And, you know, we've been gathering these people for quite a few years now, and we've been able to build a, a good little, uh, you know, I guess you call it Rolodex, right? But yeah, nobody yeah. uses Rolodex as anymore. So a good contact list of private individuals that we borrow from. But it, to your point, social media is really what's helped us. We go, we're always showing the projects we're doing, the investments we're doing, you know, the, the stuff that's involved in the project. And that's why they've come to us and said, hey, I see what you're doing. It seems like you know what you're doing. I want to invest. Right. And it, it just does that proof of concept where uh, at least they see that you're not full of crap. So I think you're going about it exactly the right way. It's what's worked for us. 
Um, but it is it is something that once you get their trust, it the it kind of snowballs, right? You, they yeah. tell their friends, and they, uh, more people hear about it, and then money almost doesn't become any more of an issue, right, for you. Yeah. But until that happens, yeah, it's uh, it's pulling teeth. You got to pay a little bit more just to kind of get that trust, you know, yeah, built up, but yeah. Yeah, and, and some people are hesitant to to maybe work with fa- friends and family, and, and I totally get that. I know Dave Ramsey has shied everybody away from working with with family, um, and and I get that. But um, you got to look at it as you are you're not begging for money, you're not asking for a loan. You're saying, "Hey, I have an opportunity for you to make good interest on your money. If you're interested, let's talk." Like you, you're actually bringing value to them. They're, you're, they're not just giving you money to go to go invest in real estate. You're providing an opportunity for them to invest and and earn good money on their money. And so you're actually solving a problem they may have. In fact, I just had a guy the other day. He's like, I am. He he had met with a financial advisor, and the financial advisor was like, because he was going to put some money into some investments through this guy. And the guy's like, well, we feel like if we're making you 6% on your money, you know, that's kind of our target. That's our goal. And, and this guy was like, well, I know I can do better than that. Like, even if I manage it myself, I'm like, you're right. And I can, I'm with my investors, I do 10% um, over, over a 12 month period. So, so people are looking for places where they can make more money, more interest on their money and not have the volatility of maybe the stock market or something like that. So you're actually providing a service. You're providing an opportunity of value to them. So it's not like you're begging for money and you have to get your mind around that. I will push back a little on the friends and family part because where I've seen, as I've been investing in real estate for about seven years now, um, one thing that I've seen with people that borrow money is I'll, the majority don't know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty much like their first deal. It's not like somebody like yourself that you're like, hey, I'm four deals in. I've put my own money. I've you know, ironed out the numbers. I've looked at hundreds of deals. I've gone through this. A lot of people, it's like it's their first deal. It's their yeah. first at bat. I want to flip a property because I saw it on Facebook or on HGTV or whatever. Um, you know, I know what subway tiles I'm going to put on there and all of a sudden, let me borrow money from my family, from my friends. And I'm like, you know, these are the people that you probably see in every weekend that you're hanging out with, that you're doing all this. And for the first deal, like it, it, a lot of times, unless your family is like very wealthy, they'll lend you 30 grand, which is 30 grand out of 35 that they have for their life savings. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you lose that money, like it makes the next get together very awkward. No, yeah, right? I, I agree. I agree. Totally. So yeah. that, that's always been my, my kind of, uh, you know, warning when people are raising from friends and family, I'm like, just make sure that you know what the hell you're doing because yeah. it, it becomes extremely, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think you should lose anybody's money. But when you're, it's your first at bat and you're already borrowing money, I think the risks are so much higher. And then if you add to that family and friends, I don't know. I think it can get yeah, very, no, very uncomfortable. You're right. I, th- I think it's a good point. I, honestly, and it's a good clarification maybe for what I kind of said. But yeah, if it's your first deal and you don't have a partner or a mentor that's making sure you don't screw it up, 
then yeah, taking grandma's nest egg of 40 grand is not a good idea. Like don't, don't do, don't do that. Like, um, so I think you're right. That's a good, that's a good exception to that. What I said there. And cause you're right. It can sour Thanksgiving dinner for sure. If you just lost 30 grand of somebody's money and, and, and for me, I have, I have reserves and I have access to a large home equity line of credit. So my, as I talk to people, I'm like, if, if this deal gets weird and it's starting to create issues between me and you, I'm writing you a check out of my home equity line of credit and paying you out. And then I'm going to go figure the deal out or sell it or whatever I got to do. So I have, I've hedged it. I've, I've got cushion yeah. in between my own savings and my own access to funding. And and because I don't want any sour, I don't want any pressure on our relationship. And even with my private investors that I don't know, I've, I've got one that I've never met before. It was just recommended to me that he's, he was doing private money loans. And so we con I contacted him and he said, yeah, let's do that. But I would still treat him just the same. Like I've got my own hedge, my own reserves. So if things get weird, I can get you out and I can go deal with the problem while you're paid in full and, and there's no issues. So I definitely would. Yeah, definitely. Um, either make sure you've got a mentor or somebody walking you through those first deals or do some deals on your own and then, then start bringing people in, um, and just make sure you can protect them and make sure that you've, you've got exits if you need it. Yeah, no, it's very good to hear that you have uh, integrity with the deals, the way that you want to run your business and you're already knowing, like in case something was to happen, you know, I have this backup, I can make you whole, I'll take care of you. I mean, I always hear from a lot of investors that's like, hey, look, you know, that's the risk with investing. You know, some some you win, some you lose. And I'm like, oh, you're already going in it that way? Like, mm -hmm. you're pretty much telling me that you're not going to take care of their money. You no, know, you're already, yeah. you're already hedging your bets on like, hey, we might lose some, you know. And if you're going in it that way, man, I, I feel bad for whoever's lending money to you. Yeah. I would start liquidating my portfolio before I defaulted on a private lender's money. Like yep. I would start sell. I would start selling. I, hey, this is my deal. I messed it up. I will here. I'll put these two houses on the market. Give me, give me 30 days. I'll have your money back or whatever. Like I, I have levels of protection. I feel like obviously I can't yep. foresee everything and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm blind to a few risks, but um, I want to make sure that I can keep them and happy. That's, that's number one. And you might be blinded to a few risks, but all overall, with the level of equity you're looking in these properties, where you, the level of all this, all these things, that even if things were to go south, you'd probably be able to put it back on the market and either get all of it or nearly all of it back and yeah. make everybody whole. So I mean, yeah, that, it, you know, even with our private money lenders, we'll have sometimes people that want to partner with us, and they bring us kind of questionable deals. And they're like, but come on, you have these great private money lenders. Why don't you do them? I'm like, because then if I do these questionable deals, I no longer have them. You know, like, yeah. I need to take care of their money. And this is a very risky deal that I'm not comfortable putting their money in. You understand? Yeah. So it's like, no, I'm not willing to do that. Um, yeah. So I want to be, uh, you know, conscious of your time. I know that you, you told me you had a... A little bit of a time limit. So I wanted to wrap up by asking you about your meetups that you said you started doing some virtual meetups um, to get people networking, get people collaborating. So I was very interested in that. Could you expand a little bit? Like, which are they? You know, what meetups do you have? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So a big part, like I said, the platform, all the, all my, the podcasts that I run, um, 
all my presence on social media, it's all about just meeting people that are doing what I'm trying to do and hopefully showing people that are trying to do what I'm doing, how to do it. Uh, that's, that's why I share what we do. And, and I believe that real estate is largely a networking game. Like it, it's so helpful when you know people and people know you. And so uh, as, as well as the education, right? Learning from others. And so these meetups are all about meeting people that are currently doing what you may be trying to do and learning from them and other people and learning for, or seeing how other people that are making the exact same steps, you know, they're right with you. You're not learning from a guru that's been doing it 25 years or did it 25 years ago. You're learning from people that are like right in the mix of it. And so, yeah, we have two meetups right now. One is long distance real estate investing. In fact, the first one is, is, well, it probably won't matter by the time this is out, but it'll be, I think it's the second Wednesday of every month. And I think we'll have the links in here to, to go to that. Um, long distance real estate investing. Sometimes I'll present that. Sometimes I'll have a guest on that has been doing long distance real estate investing to show, share a different uh, point of view on it. And then the other meetup that we're doing is breaking into multifamily. So if you've been doing single family for a while and you're trying to learn what it would take to jump into multifamily, we are having guests come on there and and just give us some some tips like how to how to transfer from the single family world and or not maybe not transfer but maybe add to your abilities of buying some multifamily syndicating some multifamily or maybe it's not even big maybe it's not even 32 unit properties but it's that eight unit property that you want to try and take down and how to partner on it how to make it happen how to run the numbers all those kinds of things so those meetups have been super fun all right, so so you have these two meetups. The first one you said it's every second Wednesday of the month. Yeah, second Wednesday of, of every month. Yeah, and and the second one, the breaking into multifamily. When is that? I think it is the the fourth Wednesday of every month. Fourth Wednesday. Yeah. All right, and how? What's the setup for these? Like, how do people? We're gonna put the links in the description, but for people listening on podcasts and everything, like, where do they go? Where do they find these? Yeah. So meetup.com, the link will link will take you to the meetup.com and you'll see the the different events in there. And on that event, like if you click on tomorrow's event, there'll be a zoom link. You click on that zoom link and it'll bring you into that virtual meetup. Uh, so, directly. so it's on zoom and it's yeah. going to be, you're going to be moderating, kind of leading mm-hmm. it up. And then what, like people are going to be able to kind of jump in, ask questions, yeah. network, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So no sales pitch, right? Nobody's going to be selling any product there, any courses. That's for sure. I uh, don't want to do that. Um, we'll usually pro- we'll usually have 15 to 30 minutes of either me or the guest speaker uh, presenting, kind of doing some training on a, whatever, a certain topic that, that we want to cover. And then we just open it up for Q and a, and that's obviously been like the best, like you have access to some of these guys that have, that have done this and that, that you're learning from. And so it, usually the second half of it is just questions and answers. And we just, you raise your hand and we get you a minute to ask your question and have an engagement with that speaker or me and, and learn uh, what you're currently facing and how to overcome it. So, uh, man, that sounds really cool. Uh, I'm definitely going to be jumping in on some of those meetups. Uh, I love networking. I've built my whole business on networking. I always say like, I'm not the smartest person in any room, but I know who is. You know, and I know how to find them. I know how to bring those people value. Uh, so I'm able to always tap into those resources whenever I need to. So with that being said, what's the name of your podcast? What's the name of your show? The Money Maven Project Podcast is the okay. is the podcast that we run. Yeah. Okay. 
And what's it about real quick? What, what do you do with that podcast? Yeah, the Money Maven Project. So I started that because, uh, again, early on, like as I was listening to some of the Bigger Pockets podcasts and other podcasts that were out there, I felt like it was people that were just way far down the path and I couldn't really relate to them. Oh, yeah, I have 100 doors and here I am trying to buy my first or second door. And so I wanted to be a resource for people that were right there. They were trying to buy their first or second door and just learn the ins and outs of real estate. And so that's why we started it. So it's a very, it's a beginner level. We talk about, you know, getting into real estate, buying your first few deals. That's kind of the, the main message. And we focus a lot on mindset and the mentality that you have to have to succeed in real estate, but also in everything in, in life as being a dad or being a parent, you know, and maybe in religion, like we want to be, we want a full life, full you know, success on all fronts of our lives. So we focus a lot about, about mindset and how we view our lives and building the life, designing the life that you want. Um, so kind of the twofold efforts there or messages there to the podcast. I like it. And I think we talked about it before. I, I relate to that reasoning because it was the same reason why I started mine. It was just like, you know, oh, when I started in real estate 15 years ago, this is what I did. It's like, oh, that does not help me at all right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all those, you know, once upon a time kind of stories. So two final questions for you. Somebody starting brand new, they want to get into buy and hold, all of that. What is one tip that you would give them that you wish you would have had when you got started? What is that one thing that you'd tell them like, hey, you're getting started in buy and hold. Doesn't matter where you are. Do this first. What what does that look like? I, I would I would find somebody that you can that you can whether it's paid or not a, a mentor or a coach or somebody that's just done it that you can bounce questions off of. That's going to be huge. It'll help you avoid a few mistakes and it will allow you to progress a little bit quicker. Again, I don't think you have to invest a lot in this. I mean, the the guy that mentored me on the Ohio market, it was a hundred bucks and it saved me six months of research. Like it was so worth it. Um, and so be, begin networking early on and meeting people and going to meetups and going to your local uh, real estate association meetings and things like that. And because networking is going to be huge down the road as you start to maybe transition into other markets, maybe start looking for private investors, it'll pay dividends down the road. So start that earlier on. If you're looking to buy and hold, um, you know, you just, you, you learn it, learn the, learn the ropes, learn the tactics through the books and podcasts and, and jump in with that mentor and, and get after it. If I was to redo it, I would probably, if I was to start tomorrow and I could, meaning I didn't have four kids, I would probably figure out how to house hack. I think that's the, one of the most powerful ways to get into real estate is house hacking. Even like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not the guru on that because I didn't do it, but that's a very powerful way to get in because you can, it's, you know, whatever, three and a half percent down, sometimes zero down, very easy way to get into real estate investing. And so I would, I would start there as my buy and hold entrance and then scale from there, honestly. Okay. Very cool. Great tip. And last thing, what is a book or maybe a podcast or something that you feel like this has been that that thing that made the difference for me in real estate that I recommend, you know, you you can't get into this without reading this, you know, and you can do a couple of each, whatever makes sense for you. But like, what is that one thing? Yeah, um, that's a hard one. Um, but 
so I've already mentioned the bigger pockets podcast. That was huge. All the resources, biggerpockets.com, all the books they put out are great. Um, but even with all that, I needed a mindset shift to help me get anywhere with all that data. Um, so, uh, I think I have it right here. So the 10 X rule will be one that I recommend. Um, this one helped me start to think way bigger, setting bigger goals, thinking outside of what I thought was possible, just setting, just setting ridiculous goals. And when you commit to really big goals, your mind starts to work at a different level. All of a sudden they, your mind starts to figure out how to make those things possible. And so think bigger, set bigger goals. And I hear all the time. Yeah. I want to buy, I want to buy another property in 2021. I'm like, just one, like, man, set that, let's figure really like set a goal that's impossible. And then let's try and figure out how to, we know one's easy. We can do one. Why would we even set a goal for that? Let's set a goal for 15 and then try and figure out how to get there. And maybe we end up at nine, but that's better than one. So this, the 10X rule is, was a huge help in just starting the juices flowing of thinking bigger and setting big goals, but also being ready because this is another, as you get into real estate, it's going to be 10 times harder than you think. It's probably going to take longer. It's going to take way more effort than you ever considered. So you met, you need to mentally be ready for that too. And the 10 X rule covers, covers all that. The 10 X rule by Grant Cardone, um, absolutely a mindset shift, which I ultimately think is way more important than just, you can go learn how to flip a house. That's great. But if your mindset's messed up and you've got limiting beliefs and you've got small goals and you're not committed to those goals, you're, you're not going to make it very far. And so I think mindset is a huge focus. It needs to be a huge focus. And I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think that was a, a great way to wrap that up and, and to bring that together because mindset, I, where I see a lot of people struggle and they're looking for that hack or that tactic or this or that, and it's not working. A lot of it is just looking at them and telling them like, look, there is no hack. This is how it's done. It's really like, that's really the strategy, but you got to shift this. That's what's holding you back. It's not the actual strategy of how to, you know, find deals or how to get them. It's just like you have whatever limiting beliefs you have in there that's causing you to, you know, not break through and not implement yeah. that simple strategy. So, exactly. so very well said, man. And, and I had fun. This was a great interview. I learned a lot. I, I think you have a great business. I think you've started off. You have a, some great strategies, some great systems in place. I, I really look up to what you're doing because at least where we are in Texas, I see so many shady investors all over the place and not respecting the business. And it's, it's very good to meet people that are actually taking it serious and doing it the right way. So I'm, I'm very, yeah. you know, very happy I met you. Great interview. I really, you know, had a lot of values and I know people are definitely going to have a lot of value with this. And like we said, people below are going to be all the links, all the descriptions to the meetups, to his podcast, uh, how to get a hold of Justin. So everything's going to be below in the description. Go check out his podcast. It's a mindset shift. It's exactly what's probably holding you back. It's most likely not strategy. So yeah. with that being said, Thank you all for watching. Thank you, Justin, for being on. And I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you.